around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery the Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Put a little bit of uh, accent on that intro. I don't know what accent that was. Oh, I did? No, I did. Oh. Yeah. Sound a little like the Duke. <laughs> you don't want to sound like the Duke these days. No, the Duke is uh, is canceled, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and uh, we probably should be too, but yeah. we're still plugging along. We we soldier on, Ben. Speaking of soldiering on, the uh, the Star Trek industrial complex has really revved up into high gear, and there's a lot of new stuff filtering into uh, into the news about the Picard series that's coming up. Do you feel like we're looking into a train tunnel and instead of a single light coming, there's like 10 lights coming? <laughs> I, I I am genuinely terrified for the uh, amount of podcasting we're going to be responsible for in the not too distant future. Is that why we keep doing things uh, that... <laughs> That could get us canceled. Like we're <laughs> we're trying to reduce the number of shows any way we can. <laughs> I was uh, yeah, I was at a bar mitzvah over the weekend, and I was describing to somebody like what my work week looks like, given the fact that I have three podcasts. And they're like, I think you might have too many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but also uh, best best job I've ever had. You know. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, it is it is a joy and a privilege, uh, but it's a lot of plate spinning also. Yeah, got to spin those plates, Ben. Um, but I think the biggest news about this Picard series is uh, is that they have a director lined up for, I think she's on for the first two episodes. It's the first woman to be the director of a Star Trek pilot, which is really cool. Her name is Hanel Culpepper. And she's directed uh, a couple of disco episodes, one in season one and one uh, that is not out yet from season two. Uh, and they are like casting roles now. It's really happening. It's really happening. And uh, the other thing that uh, I heard is that is that Peace Do is spending a lot of time in the writer's room. Which, <laughs> I mean, I would say that that, like I, as excited as I am about the director news and the casting news, that actually gives me a little bit of pause. Just given, <laughs> like, we have one data point on him being in the writers' room, and it's Nemesis, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The more involved he be, he and Brent Spiner became in the stories of the Star Trek films, the worse they got. Yeah, but maybe he learned a lesson. I don't think anyone would that. argue that. You know, I don't yeah. know. Um, but, uh, yeah, like they're, uh, they are going to start shooting next month. The what a strange power imbalance in that, in, on that creative team, right? Like you've got to believe that at some point the conversation went in the direction of I'll come back, but only if, uh-huh. and that is a hell of a way to end an argument. If you're arguing about something, uh, if you're arguing about a creative decision, right? Like you said, you said that I could affect the story if I were to come back. Right. I'm wondering how many conflicts there are when they're breaking these episodes. There yeah. have to be, right? I mean, being in a collaborative creative environment is not easy, as we well know. I mean, we've, yeah. we've had our own disagreements just between the two of us. and True. Uh, and you know, being in a big group with big, big egos and a lot of uh, like the emotions must run so high, given the kind of feelings people have for this character, and yeah. feeling ownership over that character uh, must come from a lot of quarters. You know, like the writers feeling ownership over Arc and Peace Do feeling ownership over the performance and 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 uh 
Yeah, I can't imagine it's easy. The uh, the Michael Shabon being in the room gives me hope that it will be something really cool and special. Yeah. Uh, I read one other thing that's pretty interesting, Adam. You know, uh, like all all of the Star Trek series have a kind of three letter abbreviation that that we use to you know if you're if you go on memory alpha you'll see voy to refer to voyager or tos to refer to the original series sure and uh, with this new show um you know and and disco had is like is one of the first to kind of break out of that i I see it as dis sometimes but people felt weird about doing it as std Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh but uh but they're actually kind of retconning the way we refer to Star Trek The Next Generation, that is now actually going to be POS for Picard Original Series. And then the new one is going to be PNG, which is a portable network graphic. You know, I got I got hungry halfway through that joke, and I and I started in on a sandwich, not knowing when I would be able to eat next. Yeah, you got to take care of yourself, man. You don't want me to go into diabetic shock uh, during the setup, Ben. Well, anyways, I'm really uh, glad that that I'm really glad you did that, Ben. That was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Th- one of my one of my great talents is writing a, a, a light dad joke. <laughs> uh, Are we wanna... still on target for like shooting in April? That's that's what I read. Like shooting y- next month. Shooting next month. And you just know shit's gonna come out. Like this trickle of teas is gonna turn into a deluge, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Apre new. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I mean, uh, are you? Would you say that you're more nervous or less nervous about that series than you were about Discovery before you saw it? I would say I'm less nervous, partly on the strength of Discovery. Like, I, I think maybe one of the things I didn't articulate about being worried about Discovery was that they were doing it for this internet version of television. Mm-hmm. And I was worried that they wouldn't devote the kind of resources to it that were necessary. <laughs> like uh, on our our recent uh, donor bonus episode that we recorded with the Flophouse, Elliot Kalin very aptly described Star Trek as Canadian Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> for like you know the fact that it's like a similar a lot of, a lot of similarities to Star Wars in terms of like the scope of the universe that it's trying to create but just Mm -hmm. obviously doing it with a a lot less resources to bring to bear on that right and uh discovery really breaks out of that tradition it is it looks great you know it i mean there's one thing that you can say with certainty about star trek discovery is that it's resource intensive yeah like it really brings a lot of resources to bear i think it might be one of the things that uh that cuts against it at this moment in time for me it might be uh it might be so many voices that it lacks one unifying story or voice to see this thing through but uh more about that to come as we discuss star trek discovery season two episode seven light and shadows i got a lot of tweets ben Saying, Adam, they finally heard you. <laughs> Adam, they, they open with the commander's log, finally. But I thought this was kind of an innovative use of commander's log because it's it's the commander's log, but it's also the last time on Star yeah, Trek Discovery. It took the place of that, right? So, yeah. I don't know. Kind of not the same. It's kind of not the same, but I think it's kind of a a clever adaptive reuse of that idea. I think it's better than last time on Star Trek Discovery. I think this is yeah. this is a a device that is useful and good, and I I hope they continue it. I think so like, too. Make like it the, the show, the idea that the character is kind of reflecting on what she's been through and and trying to make some sense of it gives gives a new meaning to those clips that we've already seen. I'm wearing an exosuit made of future technology we've never seen. It makes the show a little more efficient by taking those words out of characters' mouths later on, like yeah. unnecessary 
recap and exposition occurring later on in the episode. Absolutely. Uh, you no longer need to do if you if you front load it with this. So uh, Spock's shuttlecraft disappeared. Uh, actually, I, th- I think she says in the Mutara sector, right? Which uh, which we know from uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. That's right. Um, we also know quite a bit more about the Red Angel and uh, the Red Angel's time traveliness. Um, but she gets special dispensation from Pike to go uh, do a solo mission on Vulcan to uh, to check with her folks and see specifically if her mom knows anything about where Spock is because her mom uh, vehemently disagrees with Sarek about what the best path is for dealing with Spock's problems and uh, might not be might not be telling him everything she knows. She gets to go in part because Pike and Discovery uh, are choosing to study the particles that were left on the hole by the Red Angel. Failed to wipe all those particles away, Ben. So there's, <laughs> there's science to be done there. Yeah, you gotta. Uh, I recommend getting a bidet attachment if you want to get sure. the particles off the hole. You know, this episode I think is around 40 minutes, and at no point when they discuss the the time butthole and its appearance, do they ever mention the threat to Kaminar? Yeah, I mean, and not to jump ahead, but like they they blow this. Th- time butthole up at the end and warp out of there and they never yeah. mention whether Kaminar got like caught in the blast or anything <laughs> it's that, it is right above the planet it's like where they maddening. were in orbit <laughs> yeah yeah wow I mention it related to the time because it appears as though they would have time to discuss that factor throughout the ep you know they spent yeah. so much effort trying to save the people of Kaminar just last episode this also feels like an episode that isn't quite as breathlessly paced as Star Trek Discovery episodes often are. I noticed that the camera was either locked off or or floating, and any t- when it moves, it, it tends to be a fairly traditional tracking move and not a flipping the camera over while orbiting around somebody's head, which has become kind of a stylistic uh, signature of this show. Uh, this felt like a much more traditional episode in terms of how the camera was directed. And I think by nature of that, the pacing felt a little bit easier to follow. And if you had four more minutes just snuck in here and there, I think you could have honored the the issue of whether Kaminar is in danger or not. Yeah. I think... We're in agreement on on the look and feel of this episode and its relation to the others. I think creative people are enthusiastic about democratized creativity in that, you know, this is a show where we've got a lot of people writing stories. We've got different directors and writers every episode. Yeah. And I wonder how different this show would be with with a showrunner taking a stronger hand here and yeah. and and making it more consistent episode to episode. That's actually I think uh, it's been announced that there is a a new co-showrunner along with Kurtzman, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting that like what's better for the creative is not necessarily better for the viewer. Right. It's that lack of creative constraint issue, yeah. you know. Sometimes yeah. Sometimes having some some rules that you have to work within is a really good thing for creative work. Right. Um, Much like the relationship between Ash Tyler and Pike, which, as they create solutions to problems, have a lot of arguments. Ash Tyler barges onto the bridge like an entitled teenager, like chucks his black badge at Pike, like it entitles him to all the information. (laughs) Bike really kind of cool dads him, you know? Are you familiar with the term bad penny, Mr. Tyler? I mean, yeah. But also, like, okay, who's cooler, Ben? Ash Tyler's cooler. Come on. Like, he just is. With the hair and the badge and the attitude and the backstory, he's cooler than Pike. So you could say (laughs) Pike is cool dad, 
but he's still not cooler than Ash. Well, nothing nothing is less cool than a dad. So cool dad yeah. is a is a you know that's like a, a damning with faint praise kind of uh, description. An interesting part of their argument and their continuing arguments is how public they are, right? Yep, they're in front of everyone. Yeah, this is uh, this is the kind of thing that you know. Left in command of the ship, Data would have to haul Worf into the ready room to yeah. to shut him down. Um, but uh, instead, these two head to the shuttle bay because Pike has announced that he is the best shuttle pilot on the ship. Uh, with I, he, he says specifically, he knows Discovery's shuttles better than anyone on the ship, which I cannot imagine why that would be the case, but. Uh, Jordy would say, the man you want is Will Riker. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, and that's in any context, I think. Right. Yeah, that's just Jordy's like, foundational belief about the universe. <laughs> um, but, you know, like uh, like any cool dad that is, is trying to get a bad teen to see his way, Pike and Ash Tyler pile into a Previa and head out on a road trip to the time butthole. Ben, Pike, on their way to the shuttle, mentions that uh, Ash killed a member of the crew. Is it still murder if the person ended up surviving and being reborn in a spore cocoon? <laughs> this is like a uh, like a philosophy 101 yeah. question that uh, a professor would pose to a freshman class. It should surprise... No one that uh, I did not do great in college level philosophy. <laughs> I didn't even try. <laughs> um, my best friend actually majored in, I think, philosophy of logic. And uh, anytime he like described what his schoolwork was about, it just like within 10 seconds flat, I would uh, my eyes would glaze over and I would lose track of what he was talking about. It really melted my brain. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't do it. We basically go from shuttle to shuttle, right? Because it isn't long after this that Michael lands her shuttle in the driveway of her parents' homestead. Yeah. Spock's room looks kind of like where they shoot Peloton bike commercials. (laughs) (laughs) This whole house does, right? Yeah. It's a real house. I looked it up, and it's amazing. But Jesus, like, you think about the type of person that lives in a place like that. uh, It does not look like a livable space. That's why I moved to Malibu. <laughs> I was constantly fielding requests from various tech-based workout startups that wanted to shoot their promotional content inside my house. And while at first it was flattering, I couldn't take it any longer. My contractor was a Vulcan who mentioned <laughs> that an open floor plan was illogical. <laughs> Nevertheless, I insisted, and they had to bring in a laminated beam to hold up that section of the house. Turned out the wall in between the kitchen and the living room was load-bearing. The thing about making fun of me is that I'm not problematic in any way. (laughs) Uh, Sarek is on his knees doing Takmar. That's a form of meditation believed to bring the lost souls home. Yeah, I mean, I I know a lot of people that when they get especially, you know, they get into an emotionally stressful situation like their child is missing. They like to toke more. (laughs) Sarek is apparently, ever since Spock has gone missing, loving them doobies. Mm. This is the background to an interaction between Michael and Amanda that is fairly chippy. Michael knows that Amanda's lying to her, and Amanda's not a very good liar, TBH. Yeah, she, she does that right thing where that. Uh, she's like, even if I knew where he was, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> and that's a thing a liar says. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm already like forgetting shit that happened early in this season. Like, why are they pissed at each other? I mean, the tension between them is that Amanda does not want to give up her son to be prosecuted by the Federation and... Burnham believes the Federation to be his only chance to prove his innocence. But, like, there's a hostility beneath that that has to do with the core 
argument between Michael and Spock that that created their awful relationship with each other. This is a season, perhaps even more than last season, that I'm really looking forward to the binge watch of. Because mm-hmm. like week to week, I feel like it is hard to keep track of all these story threads. We're developing a list of things that have gone unsaid, you know, and that's one of them. One of the questions that remains to be answered is what Michael did to Spock as a child that caused their rift. Right. And uh, to what extent it is the generative event of the existence of the Red Angel. Yeah. Back near Kaminar, uh, they launched the probe. Ash and Pike launch a probe from their shuttle, and the reaction from the probe is a giant shockwave. Did you notice that when they, they fired the probe, it, it played the, like, send mail sound effect from Mac OS? <laughs> no. <laughs> was, I, I heard it both times I watched the app. <laughs> I don't know, uh, maybe Rob can like put the sounds side by side so we can so this is the sound of firing the probe and this is the Mac OS mail sending sound effect and uh, here's the sound that the time butthole makes as the probe enters <laughs> oh boy it- that was uh, that was an intense noise <laughs> Not a great result, not an expected result from Team Ashpike. <laughs> we cut back to Discovery, and every bridge station chimes in with a different version of We've Lost Them. Yeah. Uh, pretty scary, you know? The, the, they've kind of, like, gone past the event horizon of this time butthole. And uh, and so our B story is, is uh, about Saru getting up and uh, announcing to everyone, all right. This just went from an exploration mission to a search and rescue mission. He veers into a little We Are Starfleet for a moment before (laughs) snapping back. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if this moment is an example of his bravery. Like, he's not scared when the shuttle disappears from radar. He snaps into action. He's ready to triage. He's he's good. I would say that the person that is primarily scared uh, in this whole sequence is Pike because... He's like right before they launch the probe and they've been talking about like how Pike has, you know, concerns about trusting Ash Tyler and stuff. He gets like a kind of like a time echo where he looks into the back of the shuttle and sees a vision of himself phasering Ash Tyler. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little unclear what, what this means at this moment, but, uh, he is definitely like, Uh, on his toes for the rest of the episode after that. Pike's character serves interesting story instead of serving the trying to be a good captain story. Because I think it's a terrible decision to have taken the ship closer to the time butthole to experience the results of that and then go, cool, well, I'm just going to go get nearer to it in a shuttle and shoot something (laughs) at it, not knowing what the result will be. Like, for all his tagging along, Ash Tyler is calling Pike on that stuff the entire time. I think that's the only way, like, Ash is pushing back on Pike at every turn is the only reason that a viewer could watch this episode and think that he's not a terrible captain. Yeah. He's kind of speaking for us, huh? (laughs) Right. Uh, So, on Vulcan, Michael Burnham and... uh, Amanda finds Spock in some uh, some red Star Trek caves. And I wondered if these are the caves that are in that J.J. Abrams Star Trek film where they like all the like heavy hitness Vulcans hide before uh, before uh, the planet gets destroyed. Oh, I haven't seen that film in a minute. So, yeah, I don't know. It looks a little different, but. You know, this show has not hesitated to make shit look a little different from what it looks like in other Star Trek versions. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's this uh, this cave has uh, Katra stones that prevented Sarek's uh, toking more from uh, <laughs> uh, helping him find Spock, and uh, and he actually like comes and kind of like, what are you doing here? To uh, Amanda and Michael Burnham. Spock is in kind of a fugue state, re- repeating back to himself the first doctrines of logic. Yeah. And uh, Sarek comes in and uh, 
really takes exception to what Amanda Grayson has done here. In in hiding Spock, he feels like she's kind of violated his trust and also uh, done something that is not really in everybody's best interest. Federation really needs to figure out what's going on. And they have a pretty intense argument in which she kind of accuses Sarek of being kind of racist against humans. I really love this scene between Amanda and Sarek and their conflict here about having an interracial marriage. Right. But do you at any point understand why Amanda loves Sarek? Her love of him is clear. Episode after episode, her defense of her children is loving and good. Sarek's love for her seems genuine and real, but the love between Amanda and Sarek is asymmetrical to the degree that it seems like her sacrifice to him. I don't know. The unfairness of her sacrifice is something that makes me question why she loves him. Yeah. At all. I benefit greatly from living in a world where wives are willing to look past their husband's flaws a little bit. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, but seriously, like I think that this is a very interesting argument, and and what it does is kind of cast Vulcans as a lot more naive and flawed than I think Star Trek has cast them as before. You know, there's a lot of Vulcan exceptionalism in the history of Star Trek, and the idea that humans actually are better at some things than Vulcans or have some advantages over Vulcans in certain contexts is uh, very interesting. And I think that this this whole episode starts to kind of describe a thesis on that. Yeah. And part of that is that, like, when Spock was little, he had learning disabilities and the schools on Vulcan discriminated against him because of his half-human uh, heritage and and uh, and the whole all of the Alice in Wonderland stuff from uh, from their past is something that Amanda Grayson did on Spock's behalf to kind of give him a cultural context for the emotions he was experiencing and the and the learning disabilities he was uh, struggling with this seems to come as a surprise to Sarek, like the idea of of Amanda reading that book to both Michael Burnham and Spock. Yeah, the absentee father aspect of Sarek is pretty hateable. I will give you that. The, the idea that he was like barely aware that you know, he he was like, yeah, like he had uh, he had a learning disability, but the the schools have great ways of dealing with that. And she's like, yeah, but they didn't. Yeah. Do you think it's a Sarek thing or a Vulcan dad thing? Well, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't want to cast dispersions on all Vulcan dads because <laughs> those guys have wicked neck pinches. Yeah, yeah. So Sarek, at the end of the scene, orders Michael to deliver Spock to Section Thirty-One, believing that Section Thirty-One is Spock's only chance to get to the other side of this, and has a mini breakdown. A breakdown to the extent that Sarek could have one emotionally, where uh, he says he's he just doesn't want to see a day where he loses both children at once. Fair. <laughs> yeah. I guess the way that he would lose Michael Burnham is that if Michael knew of Spock's whereabouts and did nothing, she would get in, in great trouble with the Federation, right? R- right. She would, uh, she would be back on that shuttlecraft in the uh, prison jumpsuit. What a direction for the show to go. Like, cut to prison shuttle, Michael Burnham, where we learn what she chose in that moment. (laughs) That would be one of the most epic smash cuts of all time. Uh, Speaking of shuttles, back in the time anomaly, Ash Tyler and Captain Pike encountered their probe again. They're uh, They're getting sucked in. Uh, they've done something where they like burn off a bunch of plasma to essentially create kind of like a trail of breadcrumbs for the discovery to find them. Is this the first instance of a culvert starburst? <laughs> yeah, it's very dangerous. You know that move is outlawed by the academy, Ben. 
I know, but uh, but Pike is, uh, you know, he's a test pilot. There's a different level of, uh, of yeah. danger associated with that job. The probe comes back with some tentacular upgrades. It it went into the future and came back, and somebody upgraded it. Five hundred years into the future. Somebody five hundred years in the future was like, "Probe, let me upgrade ya. Got an octopus arm ya. Switch your senses to lasers. Upgrade ya." Can I upgrade ya? Probe, let me upgrade ya. <laughs> I just finished my other half a sandwich. <laughs> Gross, I hate sandwiches. <laughs> Better you than me, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Pretty scary looking thing happening here. Pretty familiar looking fright, too. Like the matrixification of. This piece of tech is uh, is plain to see, I think. I think if they hadn't gone for red lighting accents on yeah. the tentacles, the Matrix comparison would have been so much less obvious. Agreed. Like, I heard this interview with the director of um, Ex Machina, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how they spent a ton of time designing the Alicia Vikander, like the, the robot part of her of her character because everything like every time they like had a new iteration they would oh like if it's too gold it kind of like evokes c-3po and like Mm -hmm. we'll just it'll be hard to escape that comparison so they had to like work really hard to find something that was a pretty new version of what a robot might look like Mm -hmm. and i think that uh that is something that this unfortunately suffers from is that it looks exactly like a matrix squid you know, so so it comes in, it uh, starts attacking them. It, the the squid arms get in there and start choking out Ash Tyler. Uh, it turns out that the vision that Pike had was a it was an edited version of what really was about to happen to them in the future, where he shot not Tyler but the squid that was grabbing Tyler. Uh, but then the the kind of severed arm from the squid goes and slams itself into the control panel at the front of the craft and starts like starts uh, digging into their computer system starts it's looking for something i love how pike shoots ash basically in the chest when there's plenty of arm next to ash to shoot <laughs> i guess he didn't want to shoot near the bulkhead right yeah like, i guess that's how you destroy the the shuttle yeah best case scenario ash tyler comes out of this you know, with a with a mere flesh wound. Worst case scenario, he dies. But like, that's not even that bad. <laughs> we angle on this panel, and it's pretty clear from jump that the thing is downloading a bunch of computer information. It's a it's sort of the opposite of what happened with the big uh, with the big sphere that they encountered, right? It's oh, like yeah. it's trying to take information where the sphere was trying to give it, and. Um, that is a hell of a film studies paper, Ben. <laughs> oh, thank you. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I like to have a nice film studies moment from time to time. Yeah. One thing that uh, your uh, your boy Saru comes up with on the bridge is that uh, that Stamets might actually do a lot to help uh, finding the shuttlecraft because he has a... Uh, special relationship with time. He, he has kind of like what the U.S. and the U.K. have diplomatically, but with time. Were you missing Culber here also? I was fully expecting a cut to Six Bay where Culber is also feeling an effect from the proximity to this thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like uh, he's he's got a lot of mycelial experience as well. But but Stamets I mean, actually got like CRISPR, right? Like they changed his <laughs> genome to have some tardigrade in it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for the same reason that Stamets is made into an asset here, his 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 DNA. Yeah, I feel like there's got to be some of that inside Culber too. If uh, if Stamets and Culber ever decide to have a kid, Culber is going to be the one that has to provide the sperm sample, right? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. they don't want it coming out looking like a tardigrade. Gross. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, he's able to kind of do math in his head that nobody else could even do in a computer and beam himself aboard 
the shuttlecraft and uh and uh he's able to you know pilot it out far enough out of the uh of of the rift that they can beam everyone off and and to safety but uh, a weird a weird Stamets episode because he just kind of like shows up about halfway in and provides a technique for saving the day yeah you know and uh all of the shit that is happening to him and his husband are is like like couldn't be further from the topic of the episode yeah and for one of those people not even in the episode at all yeah michael has succeeded in bringing spock to the section 31 ship and leland kind of promises uh, a level of care that seems uh unbelievable (laughs) he's like he's like Giorgio get out of here I need to talk to uh, I need to talk to Michael Burnham alone and like really nice doctors her yeah he seems like a very light touch all of a sudden (laughs) okay uh... (laughs) I guess Michael is forced to take him at his word given like the desperate move that was bringing Spock to the ship to begin with yeah, I mean, she didn't really seem that bought into it, but uh, he kind of sales pitches her on, like, this is actually what's best for everyone. Very much echoing what Sarek said, that uh, that Section 31 is more motivated than anyone to get uh, to the bottom of what Spock knows that the Federation doesn't. And they've got, like a like, a clip show device that they want to put on Spock. And Michael Burnham is initially a little bit worried about it, but uh, her fears are are put to rest. I'd be terrified if any family member were brought into a room with a clip show device. Yeah, I mean... That's that's not good. (laughs) I definitely don't want uh, an episode that is just reliving traumatic moments from my own life, so... I don't need a device for that, Ben. No, (laughs) I could could do that just every night before I go to sleep. (laughs) Uh, in in many ways, I just live a clip show <laughs> mm, all the time. Indeed, Giorgio sort of positions herself as an ally to Michael Burnham in right. such a way that she's like, "Look, you shouldn't trust Leland. Leland's a piece of shit." Take it from me, a bad person from the bad universe. Leland is bad. You know you're a bad person if a mirror universe person thinks you're a piece of shit. <laughs> That's really true. And I, <laughs> I mean like she she says this the the problem with this is we have to take everybody's word for everything. Yeah. But she says like that clip show device is actually going to scramble Spock's egg and you don't want that. So I've turned off the uh the cameras in this hallway, but when they come back on, they got to see you kicking my ass so that you can like, you know, grab my gun and and get Spock off of here. And, uh, you know, Michael Burnham is not going to look a gift beat down in the mouth. <laughs> they get into a fairly well-choreographed Yen Wuping-style fight sequence, Ben. And if you're, if you're going to set up and design a fight sequence, is there a better actor to do this than Michelle Yeoh? Like, Hong Kong action film veteran Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's like every time they've done this with her, it's been great. It's so awesome that she's still on the show because those were some of the most fun sequences in season one, you know, like raiding a Klingon ship and beating the shit out of everyone. Yeah. Uh, It's great. And the show does a great job with fight scenes like this. I mean, we've already gotten one on on Kronos. Uh, now we're getting one on a Section 31 ship. Like the fact that uh, that these kinds of action sequences are part of this show's DNA makes it fun to come back to every week. You know, I wonder if we'll ever find out uh, the level of collaboration between the fight coordinator and Michelle Yeoh. Like if there's if it's truly collaborative in a way that she's like proposing ideas and yeah. Like that rep that Keanu Reeves has as being just like super committed to like getting the moves down really well and like yeah. and like being as pro as he possibly can be. He's always yeah. like, oh yeah, he trained for eight months to shoot John Wick 2. It's like, really? Did he need to? Because he's been doing this kind of movie for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, But it always works, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and it works here. And the it would seem to be incredibly difficult to escape a Section 31 ship. And yet... <laughs> We hear, like, the Section 31 ship's computer say something about an escape attempt, but (laughs) uh, a ship full of security people is unable to reach the shuttle bay in time to prevent the shuttle from leaving. It's just uh, too many goddamn cooks in the kitchen, you know? Yeah. So Michael Burnham is escaping Section 31. The the Pike shuttle is escaping the time butthole. When, When they're kind of, like, just about to be beamed out, Arium is doing something to kind of try and stop the probe from downloading the shuttle's computer. And we get an implication that she like sees the wrong QR code in the <laughs> in the screen and maybe got hacked a little bit. Yeah. This uh this it's not just a squid, it's also a fairly elite hacksaw, <laughs> from what I can tell. Which is also a matrix storyline, right? Like that's yeah. the that's that's uh, Agent Smith getting into the real world by by hacking somebody's brain. Yeah. Is Arium going to start uh, kicking people's butts in rainy alleyways? I was thinking a lot about, like, how does the probe know that there is a crew person on board that would be subject to this type of hack? And then I was like, oh, yeah, that severed arm downloaded everything from the ship. Like, the squid knows who's on board and has played this chess game 40 moves ahead like yeah this is, this is actually really smart i think wow they let the uh the time butthole explode probably wiping out kaminar in the process uh <laughs> they warp out of there yeah like for saru to say nothing in this moment <laughs> he like, just, uh, his like, sister's down there man in the post ganglia era saru doesn't give a fuck about anything <laughs> This is Saru walking away from a giant explosion behind him like Denzel Washington. (laughs) Yeah. Equalizer 2 Saru. Yeah. You know, Pike and uh, Ash Tyler have a little conversation about how it is always a fight for the future, which I really like. I think that's a a very, like, smart Star Trek message. And uh, we get a little little scene on the Section Thirty One ship as uh, as they try and find the shuttle that Michael Burnham escaped in, and uh, Giorgio has a little sotto voce confab with Captain Leland in which she uh, she unloads a bombshell. You're responsible for the death of her parents. Is it a bombshell though? You you imagine that there's always going to be something like this with somebody with a character like this. Uh, the fact that Giorgio has just made it her business to get compromat on everybody. Yeah. Is, <laughs> it's fairly intense. Uh, I love that aspect of this. The aspect that this is Giorgio career climbing. Yeah. And using this to her advantage. But I hate that it is the dun 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 at the end of an episode because it really has no bearing on the decisions being made here up to this point. Right. Right. Like, Leland is not motivated by that fact. Right. He's doing mission. And we don't really know, like, for all of the times Leland has ridden hard for one thing or another, we don't really know what motivates him that much. So, like, seeing him get his pants pulled down like this doesn't feel that impactful when I don't feel like we have established any particular feeling about him like if we hated him and this was a moment where he gets his pants pulled down or if we loved you know mirror universe Giorgio for some reason like this would be a much more impactful scene do you think that they made a mistake by making Leland non-threatening like I don't think there's (laughs) ever been a point in the show where I felt like he was the heavy even though he recruited Giorgio knowing what she was like I wish that the tension between he and Giorgio was more symmetrical. And I feel like Giorgio just has the upper hand on him at every turn. Plausible, because she was an emperor, and I imagine you have to know how to, like, play a certain, you know, play politics at a certain level to have a job like that. Yeah. I I think maybe it's, it's maybe a misuse of this character to some extent. Yeah, but again, like, all these questions... Like could be, 
could be answered in the final episode of the season and then would trigger a a revelatory rewatch. So right. who knows? Ben, the button on the episode is uh, Michael Burnham's sleuthing has solved the mystery of the series of numbers, these six numbers. Yeah. She realizes because of uh, Spock's learning disability may be reversed. He uh, he kind of turned those Star Trek caves into an you know an insane asylum cell mm-hmm. where he wrote on the walls all over the place and uh, and this sequence of numbers was out of order. But when she uh, puts it in, it turns out to be the coordinates of Talos four. So uh, off the head. Did you like the episode, Adam? No, no, I guess I didn't. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this. This felt, uh, this felt bodily to me. Like, what really happened? Like, what happened in this episode? Oh, we got to Spock finally. Yeah. But that's basically it, right? Right. That's all. Because everything else that happened in this episode doesn't doesn't truly have bearing on the next. I mean, other than other than the Talos Four thing. Like, they're headed to Talos Four. Right. That's the next step. Did we need 40 minutes to find out that Michael Burnham and Spock are headed to Talos 4? Yeah, I, it just felt, again, an episode that looked great, sounded great in every way. Like, it is, it is beautiful and good. But, like, when I just do the math on the episode, I wish there was a sea story. I wish it was five to eight minutes longer to make room for that sea story felt like something was missing or off about it. And I, uh, for that reason, it felt a little, uh, bottle half empty, if you will. (laughs) What about you, Ben? Um, I'm going to give a soft like to this one. Some of the character stuff with Pike and Tyler was, was nice. And I liked sort of bringing Tyler more into the storyline than he has been so far. Right. And I really liked uh, the kind of moral of that B storyline about, uh, like, we're always fighting the f- for the future. Like, you don't get to you don't get to rest ever if you're, like, on the side of good because, like, we can always improve the status quo. And I think that that's a message that's true today and it is true in the future. You know? Yeah. It's a truism. And it's... A uh, very Star Trek idea. I, I think that um, I really agree with you that there's just been a crazy amount of unevenness this season, and I don't know like when or if it will smooth out. But um, I think we've had a few episodes that were fairly fairly bad, and a few episodes that have been great, and this one is fine. <laughs> Again, <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, but it's it's still got my interest. So it absolutely has mine too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird for a show to tell you that here are the three things that are most important to the story. Like here are the three stories we're telling, and then to ignore two of them for this episode. Like if yeah. if they're all related, they're all related. Right, and the and the who gives a shit about what happens to Kaminar and the where is Culber even issues yeah. in this script are insane. Like I can't get so, with that. So crazy that they left that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ben, I don't know if this is going to be a segment or not, but I wanted to give you a uh, a simile school audit of the episode. All right, now everyone now busy as a bee. Oh, interesting. Uh, five similes this episode. Uh, <laughs> here are the five. Like a diver rising to the surface, like a blender, like catching a grain of sand in a hurricane using a pair of tweezers, <laughs> like I sprayed the monitor with grated parmesan and like water swirling down the drain. So, there are your five. What fun. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those with the class. <laughs> it's I don't I can't unhear that anymore after the first time. I'm yeah. ruined. <laughs> well, uh, you know what's what always makes me feel better after I hear a bunch of similes, Adam, <laughs> is uh, priority one messages. Do you want to go check our uh, inbox see if we've got any? I really do. 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message comes from Old Ike, oh, your no. loving space boyfriend. <laughs> I was I was ordered, Ben, to do Samuel Clemens' voice. God which damn it. Is getting worse and worse. I think <laughs> I believe at one time my Samuel Clemens was good. And it is now not good. Wow. Uh Strong disagree. <laughs> it's just different bad. The message is for Lieutenant Nay. First mouse in Starfleet. I don't believe that the message needs to be read in Samuel Clemens' voice, so I, so I won't. Oh, so thank here's goodness. the message. Chad Each, can you believe you are almost done with TNG and Greatest Gen? As of my writing, only ten episodes remain. But, like all good things, this will continue with Deep Space Nine. I have now, as per our recent agreement, stopped listening to the pod at DS9, Season 3, Episode 26, and will resume after three seasons when you catch up. Wow. You have been, and always shall be, my friend. Oh. I like the typo. The typo says you have beer, and always <laughs> shall be, my friend. So I feel like that works. I like that, read. That might yeah. be intentional. <laughs> yeah. We should probably go with that. I love friends listening to pod together. Yeah. Yeah. We have a couple of podcasts that we both follow, and it's fun to talk about them afterwards. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Nay and Lieutenant Nay's loving space boyfriend uh, might get into those early eps of season four of Deep Space Nine and just decide to stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of surprises for them. Yeah. Uh, we have a second priority one message here, and this one is from the one called The Coove, and it is to Ben Adam, the warm-honeyed bosom, my sister Darcy, and all FODs everywhere. <laughs> uh, code, Binturong. When the hurricane of chaos that is ADHD was overwhelming, this podcast was a lifeline to help me focus. When even the chaos was silent, I was abducted by the WHB found a place to belong. Everyone knows this is just a dumb podcast, but my theory presupposes is, maybe it's family. Thank you for everything you do. Oh! The booze. The couve. Is what I'm calling the warm honeyed bosom. The booze? <laughs> Lots of love uh, coming from and going into the warm honeyed bosom bin. Pretty yeah. great. Just a super duper positive and great group of people. Glad to hear uh, that uh, this show helped uh, create a, f a feeling of family for those folks. Glad to hear that this show is doing some good somewhere. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Instead of being an embarrassment to <laughs> us and those who defend it. <laughs> Well, if you'd like to send a Priority One message, you know what to do. You go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It is 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and uh, they are a great way to support the production of this show. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed, and one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. 
It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I think it's got to be Leland for me this episode. And, you know, like this may be like, this may have to be a provisional drunk Shimoda. Oh, okay. Um, because I could see in the next seven or however many episodes we have left in the in the season, him turning things around on MU Giorgio. But the idea that this guy is the head of the dirty tricks spy apparatus of the Federation and it's just constantly getting his pants pulled down by this upstart is really embarrassing. <laughs> you know? Like like come on, dude. You cannot you cannot let her get the upper hand every single time like this. It's ridiculous. You know what we see a lot on the bridge of the discovery whenever Pike gets into an argument with Ash, for example, is we get some cutaways of the other crew people. Like, like remember when Saru was about to fight Pike? Yeah. People started to, like, stand up to get ready to get in between them. Right. I wish we got a few cutaways on the Section 31 ship where we saw some people kind of look at each other like, man, Leland kind of, he kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was possible for bridge crew to be more anonymous than the yeah. discoveries were in season one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, section, 31, section 31 found a way to make that happen. Now, Ben, I like your your first version. Whenever uh, Section 31 has a party, like a birthday party in the conference room, it's definitely a Section 30 fun type <laughs> atmosphere, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. They know how to party. <laughs> That's what they call the party planning committee on the Section 31 ship. Yeah. What's there three of all of a sudden? Yeah. Yeah, they're really cranking them out. Um, same. Same. Uh, <laughs> did you have a drink about Adam? For me, it could be nobody else besides Ash beating the shit out of the tentacle with a wrench and like <laughs> affecting no damage. <laughs> like, Ash, the wrench isn't working. And yet... <laughs> Like, while Stamets and Pike are in the back, like, working the problem, like, like Stamets is, is telling them backstory. He's, he's telling them how they're going to escape. They're setting the self-destruct sequence. Like, a ton of shit is happening. Ash is one-track minding this tentacle and <laughs> is just swinging and swinging and swinging and not doing anything. 
you're not moving the project forward any faster. It really adds to a frenetic tension in the scene that I like. Like I I wonder if they were to do the scene where the three of them where the three of them are collaborating on a on a solution if that just played as not as exciting, but instead you get the countdown and the argument between Pike and Stamets and the beating on the tentacle that I think altogether uh, serves the tension really well. But like the futility of that, <laughs> like a lot of things in season two on Discovery, like it serves a an action purpose without serving a character motivation or right. or like an internal logic. Or a story purpose. Yeah. What do we have coming up on the next episode? Adam, we saw a, uh, a little vasectomy that uh, featured... <laughs> that always makes me laugh. <laughs> uh, some guys with big giant heads, who I presume are the residents of Talos IV. Yeah, uh, the Talos Fourians. Yeah, I think we see more of these uh, squid probes. Yeah. Um, and uh, and looks like Section 31 uh, chasing the disco through a, a warp tunnel. So... Uh, it looks like uh, I got the sense that a lot is going to be revealed in the next episode. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like uh, the moon and Earth could be in the next episode. There was a quick shot of those. Michael Burnham like sees the future via having some kind of mind meld with Spock. Yeah. That those guys with the big giant heads help them to achieve. I don't know. Do you have any personal predictions of what's to come? What What does your spider sense tell you? Um, let's be wrong together. Yeah, one thing that I it it's hard to tell in a spacesuit, but one thing that I that occurred to me looking at the Red Angel at the beginning of this episode during the Commander's Log was that the Red Angel looked a little hippier than a than a, a gentleman. And oh. I've been I've been interested in your theory that the Red Angel might actually be Spock, but now I'm wondering if it's a lady, and if it's a lady. I can't imagine that it's going to be a lady that we've never met before. Hmm. I'm, I, I feel like almost all of that is probably wrong, but uh, <laughs> as long as as long as we're being wrong in public, that's uh, something that occurred to me. The hips aren't going to end up lying, Ben. I I think I'm in agreement with you on that, but there is a bulge. Yeah, you know, and and I think that when you're in a like a non-form fitting onesie like that. Uh, one size fits Gen- all. Gender uh, signifiers are harder to... Yeah. Ben, I took a long look at the wings of the Red Angel because the credit sequence changed and we got some Red Angel in it in a yeah, different there's... way than we've seen before. And then we got uh, some exterior shots of the Section 31 ship again. It sure does look like the wings of the Red Angel look like the nacelles of that Section 31 ship, right? Wow. Would... Uh, it would seem as though it wouldn't be too big of a jump to think that maybe Red Angel is Section 31 technology that, that went rogue. Future future Section 31 technology? Or present Section 31 technology. They made the tech, they, they put someone in it, and once that person gained control of it, they, they went off on their own to do their own thing. And, and maybe this entire season is about Section 31 trying to bring back... Uh, a creation that yeah. it made that that they huh. couldn't control. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like Section Thirty One has already been demonstrated to have different and more advanced technology a couple of times. So maybe you yeah. have something there. I don't know. How many episodes are there left? This was episode seven, so there's seven left. I think there are seven left. Yeah. I cannot believe we are at the halfway point. It's all downhill from here. Time to start tying up these threads, Ben. <laughs> well, uh, I think we should uh, probably leave it with Rob's, 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 Rob's from here now that we've uh, put some uh, some predictions into the recorded record that will almost <laughs> certainly be wrong. We're giving Rob a lot of work to do in retroactively removing all of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what we should do is just predict a lot of shit, and then when 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 things are revealed, we go back and edit out the things we were wrong about. And re-record uh, to make ourselves sound smart. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm into that's that. what I think we should do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, worthy uh, effort. We'll do that later. But for now, take it away, Robs.
greatest discovery is a maximum fun podcast hosted by adam pranica and ben harrison and it's produced and edited by me rob schulte our theme music is by adam ragusia head on over to maximumfun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show and a nice free way to support the show is to head on over to apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review you can find ben on twitter at benjamin ahr adam is at cut for time and i'm at rob k schulte all right thanks we'll see you next time MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.